0: Friends, Jesus has been very faithful to us this morning. And as we're sitting here, I think and I hope that in your hearts you're praising him and that praise is ongoing and continuous as the worship band walks off the stage. Can we just give them a round of applause for leading us well this morning? We are thankful for your ministry and thankful for encounters with Jesus here today. Well, Friends, I want to let you in on a little secret from my life this morning. And to be honest, I need it to stay between us girls. It's a humbling reality, but it's a reality, and it's something I've learned to work with, and it's this. I haven't always been this cool. In fact, there was a season of my life that I have labeled my journey through nerddom, uh, where in my middle school and my high school years, life was just awkward. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was about. I dressed like a goof, and it was me. About that time, when I was in grade seven or eight, I discovered something that I started to identify with, and that was the band program in our school. And I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved the songs that we played, the concerts that we would go to, the uniforms that we would wear, whether it was a sweater or a suit. I loved the pins, and to my wife's horror right now, I've brought my band pins to church today, and there's all sorts of great pins. Perfect Attendance Awards for going to band and showing up before 7 o'clock each day. Trips from Seattle and Vancouver and Victoria and Banff. There's even one that says President of the Band. That was my life, and I found great success in it. I loved band, and I loved to participate with those kids. And to be honest, it was awesome. Not only did our our ensembles find great success at the festivals that we would attend, but I just seemed to, it, it was a knack for me. And the more that I poured myself into it, the more success I had. When I was in high school, we had a band teacher who had an absolutely phenomenal impact on our lives. She could push us in ways that it seemed no other teacher could, or at least my report card said that my math teacher and science teacher never could push me like our band teacher did. And the more time that I spent in the band program, the more success I seemed to have. And, and I started to, to um, receive the accolades for it. Fast forward to grade 12, it was towards the end of the year. Humbly, I turned 40 this week, friends. I'm an old man. Humbly, this is like 22, 23 years ago. And, and uh, at the end of the year, as I was leaving school one day, I received an envelope from one of my teachers. And inside the envelope was an invitation to go to the year-end awards ceremony, and there I would receive an award for Music 12 as whatever it was, an outstanding student or whatever. I remember going to our school that night in Calgary, and I'm not going to tell you the school or I'm not going to tell you the teacher, because I'm pretty sure some people in this room know this teacher. Uh, But I was there, and, and my friends would go forward to receive the different awards. They would... You know, received the math award, science, social studies, English, all of these kind of things. And then my time finally came at the end of the night. And there I was, rich in in the deep end of nerddom. and, And I stood up when my name was called. With my pleated pants and my tapered khakis or whatever they were. And a sweater that resembled a ballroom carpet floor. I went forward and my teacher heaped praise on me. Aaron was going to be someone in life. Whatever Aaron set his hands to, he would be successful. Whatever Aaron set his mind to, he would would find joy in, and not just joy, but excellence. And she heaped on the praise, and I remember sitting down with my parents, and it was one of the few times I can remember from those years where we just shed tears of joy together. We were so proud. I had worked hard in band, and I felt so blessed that I was recognized for it. We walked out of that room and I held that that, uh, certificate in this special leather bound book and I put it on my shelf and I held it there with pride. That teacher was able to do something in us that many, many other leaders weren't able to do for students at that time and she pushed us. She was special, she was a hero in our books and in our minds and someone that I thought I would hold in high regard for the rest of my life, which in many aspects I do. After I was done high school, in, in, I, I really believed that for a season of my life, I really believed that I would go on to do great things in music, and I would uh, go into, at the time, I thought maybe the jazz program at Mount Royal University in Calgary, Mount Royal College at that time, but in March of that year, I had a calling of my life at a youth conference to pursue pastoral ministry, and so the trajectory of my life changed, and the course of my life changed, and in doing so, I lost touch with that teacher, and for years, I wondered what she was up to. As I said, I held her in very high regard, and so uh, it would come up in my mind's eye from time to time, and I wondered what she was up to, and I would hear things here and there that she was trying different things. And then fast forward to a couple of years ago, we had moved to Lethbridge after nine years in Penticton, and when we moved to Lethbridge, one of the first things that happened was I made a connection with this teacher through social media. It was unbelievable. I was excited that, uh, once again, our stories were somewhat connected, even if it was you know, very distant and far apart. And then one day I got a message, and I couldn't believe it. I got a message from this teacher, and she said, I'm coming to the Lethbridge area. Would we be able to go out for lunch? Wow. An amazing opportunity to sit down with one of my heroes and catch up and reminisce and remember the great trips that we had and the great memories we had and the great ways that she was able to shape so many of us towards a better life. Well, we sit down in Mocha Cabana. Ronald was working that day, and so I had Adria with me. And we sit down, and immediately I just dive in. Do you remember when this happened? Do you remember this? And we, we reminisce, but literally two minutes into the conversation, the tide of the conversation changes. And she starts to tell me about the things that she's doing in life, and she says something like this, like, Aaron, I could really start to change your story. I found wild success in what I'm doing, and I want to invite you into it. And I know that you're a man who's very well connected, and through your connections, not only will we change your life, but we'll change the life of your church. I want you to come and sit under me, apprentice under me, and and bring the church directory, and we're going to find ways to sell the church life insurance and investment ideas and, and, and investment opportunities. And not only will you change the life of your church, but financially, your life will be very different. I couldn't believe it. This teacher that I had held in such high regard, this hero in my life, was leveraging what, I'd, what I had built up and worked for, was leveraging the calling of my life so that she could get ahead. I was disgusted, and I remember sitting there and over and over and over, shutting down these offers for opportunity to come to you and and try to leverage what you have. And after 10, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever it was, maybe it was even an hour, of sitting there, finally with some disgust, she looked at me and she said these words. She said, you know, Aaron, I remember that day back in June of 96. I remember giving you that award, but you need to be be aware of something. That we don't always give awards to the most deserving people. That oftentimes in life as teachers, we give awards to people with the hope that maybe they'll do something with their lives. Maybe it'll awaken them that they need to work harder or do better. Maybe it will motivate them to try harder. And I couldn't believe it. Not only was this teacher, this hero of mine, trying to leverage me, now she was lashing out at me. And it just seemed cruel. And I remember leaving that place with Adria. And just kind of laughing, thinking, this just turned out to be so different than I thought it should have been. At the end of the day, we all get it, don't we? We have these hopes and these dreams for life. We have these expectations that life's going to turn out a certain way. But life has such a cruel way of throwing curveballs at us, doesn't it? We've all experienced the curveball story that proves that life just just isn't fair. And our stories aren't all the same. Your story isn't going to be necessarily that some hero in your life sat down and spoke harsh words into your life, but your story might be that there's some measure of sorrow or suffering that you've gone through because life isn't fair. You got the phone call that you're sick. You sat in front of your boss and heard that, it's, that he's letting you go. You have um, been inflicted upon by the sins of others or you have inflicted on others this, uh, a sin yourself and through it all... Life just becomes cruel, it becomes miserable, and we come to places where we just understand that this is just the way that it is. I, somehow I deserve this. Somehow I, I, I this, is, this is just what life gives to us. And rather than finding a new pathway forward or filing healing from our misery, we learn to just put up and accommodate our sorrows or our situations, and we just find ways to cope, don't we? When their kids are yelling, we turn up the music and hope that the noise will drown them out. When, when we're down in the dumps and life is just too much, we hit the bottle and hope to drown our sorrows away. When, when life is just cluttering in around us and it's, it's pressing in around us, we hope that if we can just ignore it, somehow we'll find a way through. Just get over it. Just, just muddle our way through the muck and the mire of life if we stay out of other people's ways and we try not to create problems, maybe we can cope and maybe we can just figure it out. This morning, I want to talk to us about the reality that I don't believe that Jesus came into this world just so that we would accommodate sorrows and suffering. I don't believe that Jesus came into this world to help us to... To discover that we just have to cope through the situations of life. No friends, I'm deeply convinced and convicted, and it's coming from a very practical, real place in my heart, that when life gets really, really hard, that Jesus steps into our life and that when we turn to him, he will help us not just to cope in life, but to find hope in life. That Jesus died on the cross, not so that we would suffer for all of life, but so that through our suffering we would find that we can thrive. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to open them to John chapter 16. I'm going to read for us from the New International Version this morning, starting in verse 20. I know it says 16 on the screen behind me, but I want to start in verse 20. I want us to read these words and talk about four perspectives and five tools that we can utilize to help us hope in life. We want to move the equation from coping in life to hoping in life. We want to change the playing field. And I believe Jesus gives us great strategy here. John chapter 16, starting in verse 20. Let me read these words to us. Very, I tr- very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child is pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. It's a powerful passage for us as we look to be people who move from cope to hope in this world. And as we look to thrive, I believe that Jesus gives to us four important perspectives that we need to lean into here and have understanding of if we are gonna be people who who live in hopeful ways. And so as Jesus starts this passage in verse 20, he does so immediately by building two realities or two identities that we need to have perspective on. And the first perspective is one of value. You can bring it up on the screen behind me is the one of value. What do we value in this world? He sets up these two two, um, perspectives, and the perspectives are the age, the present age, and the age to come. In the present age, we read that that this world that we live in, it's going to cause us grief. It's going to cause us to suffer. It's going to cause us sorrow. This world that we live in that Jesus addresses here is the present age, but this isn't where we find hope, friends. Hope for us as followers of Jesus, hope for us as Christians, comes in the reality and the perspective that there is a better life to come, that this life is going to be hard, but, this, but that our story isn't finished, that Jesus is going to lead us to better places. More and more as we live in a post-Christian society, there seems to be a widening gap between the values that we hold and the values that our culture holds. The way that we talk, the way that we give, the doctrines that we hold on to, the beliefs that we have, the things that we believe matter, more and more the world looks at and it feels as though they're just mocking us because of it. We are becoming the laughing stock of society and we're being pushed to the fringes of society because of the things that we stand for. A tolerant society, it seems, is becoming increasingly intolerant of us. And this has a powerful effect upon our hope quotient if we allow it to. Jesus says, don't look and don't value the things that are in this world, but think of the eternal things. Walk and live a holy life. Remember who's in charge. Remember who's in control. And build your hope on that. It's been a hard week in Canada. Aaron turned 40 years old on Wednesday. But there's other things that have happened this week that can rob us of joy if we allow them to. And so we look at these things and we say, we need to have the perspective that while the world is making difficult choices, Jesus is still in control. Is he surprised by the decisions the world makes? Is he surprised by the things that this world values? No. Does the world feel out of control? Does it feel broken? Does it feel lost? Yes, but Jesus says, don't lose heart. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, it says in the e- English Standard Version, take heart, I have come to overcome the world. Friends, we fill our hope quotients when we realize and when we, when we identify with and agree that Jesus is still on the throne. He's still in control. He's still working in life. He still is planning. His plan A is still to use uh, Bible-believing churches like this one to bring blessing and hope and perspective into a post-Christian world. And so does it grieve us to live in the places and spaces that we do? You bet you it does. But this grief is temporary. Things are going to change. Jesus is still in control, and we can find deep hope in that. The second perspective we need to have is what do we find our identity in? Jesus says here in verse 1, a woman giving birth to a child is pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets this anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. These are Jesus' words speaking about identity. And so let me ask the question, where's the identity of the mother here? Is the identity of the mother in the fact that For however long, five hours, 10 hours, 30 hours, I don't know, she goes through an absolutely awful time of life. No. Her identity comes when she sees that baby for the first time. Her identity comes when that babe is laid on her chest. Her identity comes as a mother to those children. Three times I watched as our kids were born, and it was excruciating what Rolna went through. I have no idea. Let's just establish that right now. But what you moms go through, is excruciating. But you can't, you, when, when your baby is born, when you look into its little eyes, when you see its hair, when you hear its cry, you don't think to yourself, well, I guess I'm a hurting person. No, you look at that babe and you say, I'm a mom. Someday that little one's going to rise up and call me mommy or mother. You're going to see that beautiful life. and You're going to build your identity there. This is the perspective that Jesus is giving to us. Friends, your name isn't anxiety. Your name isn't depression. Your identity isn't cancer. It's not failure. It's not fired. It's not broken. Your name is child of the living king. You're no longer a slave to the things of this world. You are a child of the living God. We read in the scripture from the book of Psalms that that we heard the term Abba, Father. The best way we translate the word Abba into our English is the term Daddy. We are are the children of Daddy. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are victorious. We are blessed. We are healed, we are restored, we are saved. This is our identity, and this is what Jesus needs us to see here. What is our identity? We are children of the living God of the universe. And when we have this perspective, it fuels our hope, it builds our hope, it transforms our hope. It moves us from just coping in the everyday situations of our life to identifying and being victorious in the hope of our life. And so do we go through seasons where we suffer and when there's sorrow 100%, and there's more of those seasons to come, but that is not our identity. Our identity is with Jesus. It has a powerful effect on giving us hope for today and hope for eternity. There's nothing wrong with going through seasons of sorrow and suffering. The problem comes when we agree with those titles, with those identities, and we adopt them as our own. Satan wants nothing more, and he's such a loser for pinning those things on us and forcing us to believe that that's who we are. It's a lie from the pit, and it's one that we have to have right perspective on. We are children of the king. We are co-heirs with Christ. That is our identity. Finally, two more quick things. I know I've got one on the screen behind me, but there's two more. Jesus gives reference here. He infers to the fact that this world that we live in is gonna help us, or or, or it's gonna lead us to believe that they will help us to be happy. And so the things that we buy, the the ways that we engage with the world, the things that we have are gonna bring us happiness. And Jesus says, he looks at this and he says to remember, the perspective here is to remember that the world only offers temporary happiness while Jesus offers us eternal joy. If we try to find hope and joy in earthly things, friends, we will find that they only bring temporary relief. And if we're going to move from cope to hope, then we need to focus on and value the things that Jesus valued. Things like being generous, things like loving others, things like living a holy life, things like being in community, and there's more, that's just a short list, but this is a starting point. If we're going to be hopeful, then we have to lean into the things that Jesus valued, and we have to focus on those things. The new things that we were promised will bring us happiness. The phone, the new car, the great holiday, the great book or whatever. These things will fade away and rust away and rot away. But when our focus is on Jesus and his values, it will fill us to overflowing. And the last thing, number four, that I have perspective on is just this. It's that God is good. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God does good for those who love him. And we need to remember this, that we go through seasons of life and and we go through seasons of suffering and seasons of sorrow, but they're just seasons, that God uses those things and he's good in those things to lead us through if we follow him and if we turn to him. God is good and he's not looking to defeat us or destroy us, but instead he's looking to build us and help us to live and walk in relationship with him. This is of the utmost importance if we're gonna fill our hope quotients. Jesus doesn't want us just to cope in this world with our problems. He wants us to find hope. And when we have these four perspectives, it lifts us in very powerful ways to experience this world differently. Yes, there's going to be sorrow and suffering. Yes, there's going to be trouble. But Jesus will fill us with hope, and it will blow us away how good and how faithful he is. Well, when we have this perspective, it really changes the way we see the hard seasons and how we move forward. And I believe that as we talk about these things, there are five tools that we can place in our belt, five very intentional ways that we can live that will move us forward from places of coping to places of hoping and will allow us to thrive through all seasons of life, but especially the heavier ones. So in the next few minutes that we have remaining, let me flesh out five tools. And you might want to write these down. I believe that Jesus gave these to me the last couple of weeks. Five ways, tools, five ways and five tools that we can put in our belt to help us live with more consistently and and more hope in Jesus. And the first one would be this. At some point, we need to turn to Jesus. At some point in the struggles of our journeys, we either have to stop running or we have to stop hiding, and we need to invite Jesus into the middle of our stories. We have to acknowledge our need for Jesus. We have to invite him into the center of our lives and our situations and allow him to breathe into us. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways submit to him and he will do what? He will make your path straight. At some point we need to turn to Jesus and inviting him into our stories will fuel us for hopeful living friends. And this can look like a couple of different things. Over the last number of months, I've found that just simply turning to him and surrendering to him is a powerful effect upon my own hope quotient. And for me, one of the ways that I do this is I pray the prayer of of Jehoshaphat from 2 Chronicles. And I get to a place in my story where I just look to Jesus and with open hands, I just surrender to him and I say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. It's an acknowledgement of his lordship. It's It's an invitation for him to come in it's a confession that I don't have what it takes to fill my hope tank again. But Jesus, if you would come to the center of who I am and what I'm doing, if you'd come to the, sit- the, the center of my sorrow and my suffering, I invite you to lift me there. Another way that we turn to Jesus is that we might just repent from sinful behavior. And this is hard. We might get to the spot in our story where we recognize that what's adding to our Uh, what's adding to our sorrow and our suffering is actually us. And so we come to the humble reality and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we recognize that there are practices and things in our life that are sinful that we need to turn from. This is hard, friends. It's hard to be able to go to somebody and say, you know what? I blew it and I'm sorry. It's hard to be able to go to somebody and say, I sinned and I'm wrong. But it's amazing the effect that takes place when we do. When we humble ourselves and we just submit ourselves to another person and definitely before Jesus, the weight that gets lifted from our shoulders. Jesus says in Isaiah chapter 31 verse 20, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. If we're going to be hopeful people, then we have to bring Jesus to the center of our lives. and I believe this is the overarching tension of John chapter 16, be Christ-centered people and experience the lift of him. Well, the second tool that we place into our belt is is that we need to dwell with Jesus. We need to spend time with him and allow him to breathe into us and speak to us. And so the importance of reading our Bibles daily, of praying and creating margin in our life is so central to hopeful living and we have to create room for it. Ladies, I'm so thankful for the invitation that Suzanne has given to you to come and create margin in your life and to dwell with Jesus. This last week I heard a story of a man who was 80 years old and had recently lost his wife. He was hurting deeply and and he was broken through this time and he was suffering and he was sorrowful. And as he was was grieving the loss of his beloved wife, his son came to his house and, and he just started to do things for his dad. He... He cleaned up the laundry, he, he made meals, he cut the grass, he washed the car, he cleaned up the house, he, he paid the bills, he, he organized a whole bunch of things, and at the end of the day, he sat down, and he looked across at his dad with exhaustion, and he said, Dad, is there anything else I can do? And with tears in his eyes, the dad looked at him, and he said, would you just stop working, and would you just be with me? I don't need you to do all these things, I just want to spend time with you and be together. And this is so often the case it is with our Heavenly Father. In our world, we value being busy. We value the to-do list. We value the tasks that need to get done. But at the end of the day, what really fuels us is not to make our lives busier. What really fuels us is to create space to intentionally be with Jesus. And it's intimidating. I get it. It's hard to sit down. It's hard to create space. But it is critical to fueling our hope and helping us to thrive in life. It changes our perspectives when we sit down and spend time with Jesus. It motivates us. It focuses us in the right way. This is something that we we need to embrace. As people who struggle with living a busy, hectic life, it is perhaps the most important tool in our belt to help us live in hopeful ways. A couple of weeks ago on social media, Tanya Lister, the great Tanya Lister, She's nervous right now. Reminded us of these words. She said, before you start the day, put the word before the world. That's such an important perspective. It's so important that we start our days in the right ways and we create margin for Jesus to step into our lives and speak into our lives. The value of time with Jesus is powerful and it shapes us in beautiful ways. Word before the world. It's a tool for hopeful living. The next tool that we want to work with is the tool of gathering people, gathering with others. It's important to us that we live in community and allow Jesus to work through his bride to bless us and to lift us. And I realize that probably uh, most people in this room aren't as extroverted as myself or others, but uh, the reality is that whether you're uh, strongly extroverted or strongly introverted, All of us need people in life to remind us of the things of Jesus. The lift of another life is powerful. And and even if you have one other person around you, Jesus can use them in such powerful ways to speak truth into your life and to encourage you and remind you and give you perspective of his work both now and in the past. This last week in our small group, we're doing a study on the book of Judges. And in the study, we were reminded with the Israelites that it took one generation of separation for the Israelites to forget the faithfulness of God. One generation, they had crossed over the Jordan River and Joshua had led them forward and they're into the promised land and Joshua passes away and Judah takes the mantle of leadership and as he does so, the Israelites forget the faithfulness of God to provide for them and to protect them. And the same thing's true in our life. Parents and grandparents and friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, some of the most important work we do as believers that that builds into other people's lives is to remind them of how God has been so good, both now and in the past. It's to tell the stories of the faith. It's to sit down with each other and say, remember that time in your life? Remember that part of your story where God stepped in and he took care of this? Why are we worried again? Gathering with people is critically important. Because oftentimes when we speak truth into one another's lives, Jesus does a work through us that we could never experience or never accomplish had we been alone and by ourselves. Community plays such a huge role in filling our joy quotient and Jesus often uses another life that will encourage us and give us perspective. Ray Ortlund Jr. said it best, and since we're talking, and since we're here in a church Uh, I just want to speak quickly to the significance of what's taking place here right now. He said, the best strategy I have to regain peace and confidence is to come to church. He says, I worship with my church. I see the people in my church, and they are oxygen for me. Just being there helps me to feel afresh that Jesus is enough. It's a space where I can help others with their problems, and that matters to me, he says. I start to think about them and care for them, and they matter to me. Every single one of them. They are wonderful people. So friends, don't lose sight, don't lose heart to the power of community because it has a huge impact in hopeful living. Don't take for granted what takes place here on Sunday mornings. God is always at work through each of you. And your presence here today has had a powerful impact on the life of another person. Jesus has used you. And he's filling somebody's hope tank in significant ways because of your presence here today. Our next tool is the tool of serving others. When we give our life away in Jesus' name, it powerfully lifts us. And so the opportunity we have to come alongside of others and get involved in a project or in a life moves us towards hopeful living. And while I believe that there's value in accomplishing things, I believe that there's a greater value, friends, when we accomplish things together. Hopeful hopeful serving is one that looks to lift another life. And the Bible speaks to the values of this, that we should hold in serving. It's an important journey. And I think you've probably experienced through seasons of your life that when you lay yourself aside and when you wear the towel on your arm and go and serve others in Jesus' name, it lifts us in powerful ways. Last night, I had the opportunity with the police service here to go to their regimental dinner. And as I was eating with the police officers from across southern Alberta, I was reminded of the importance of serving others. What a blessing it is to wear the towel on our sleeve. What a blessing it is To come alongside of others and encourage them and and, and serve them and and lift them in Jesus' name. But the effect just isn't upon other people's lives. The effect impacts us deeply as well. Frequently in the past couple of weeks, I've been taking a page out of of the Scott Dixon handbook, who's our senior pastor here. Scott is so good at coming alongside of others. And when he hears their story or the things they're going through, just stopping and serving them by praying for them. And so often it's the case, as we share with Scott or as others share with Scott, that back at the door there, he'll just stop and say, why don't we pray about this for a moment? He's just so faithful at at praying for others and serving people in this way. And it lifts him. It lifts us. It has a powerful effect upon our lives. I'm guessing other people have been blessed, but, but the blessing is also mine to experience and to live in as well. There's so many opportunities to serve people these days, to selflessly lay aside our lives and to raise up another one. And so understanding the power of this tool and embracing it is one of the ways that we will live hopefully today. So lean in and serve. The final tool that we have in our belt is to change the measurement. The final thing that Jesus leads us to here, and again, it's one of the overarching themes, is to have perspective on the things that are really important. Change the measurement. More things, more opportunities, more power is going to equal more clutter to the soul. But bringing Jesus to the center of all that we are and all that we do, embracing more of our God-given identities, acknowledging more of what God is doing in our lives, and understanding how he's shaping us and how he's going to move in us, powerfully shapes our ability to move from cope to hope. Every day I get home from work, Raulna is so faithful, my wife is so faithful to just ask me how my day went. And I confess before you today, friends, that lots of times I have a propensity to complain. I'll come home and say, oh, it was miserable. Pastor Brian was gloating about the Oilers' win last night. Pastor Scott was gloating that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders beat the Calgary Stampeders yesterday. Oh, it was so miserable. And Ronald is so good and she's so faithful. To say, well, what were the good things that happened today? Changing the equation powerfully, changing the measurement powerfully affects the way that we move from cope to hope. Sitting down at our our kitchen table, we ask our kids, what was the best part of your day? And one of the answers we frequently hear was, leaving school, coming home. It's like, yeah, but what were the things that God did today? And as we reflect upon those things, not only does it affect our hope quotient, but it affects the dynamic of the communities around us, when we pause and reflect on the things that, that Jesus is doing, when we reflect and we change the, we change the measurement from the th- all the things that went wrong to all the things that went good, it has a powerful effect upon our hope quotient. Reflecting on the people that we prayed for, reflecting on the things that we're thankful for, having an attitude of gratitude is powerful in our lives, and wow, does it lift us. A simple mindset adjustment of change in the measurement is a powerful tool that Jesus can use to lift us and help us not just to cope with the messy seasons of life, but to find the hope filled ways that God is working and shaping and blessing and lifting us despite the circumstances that we faced. I left Mocha Cabanas that morning, 22 years, or a couple of years ago, in 2015. And I remember walking out after lunch and just kind of shaking my head. And as as I lifted my head up, I saw the vast Alberta skies. And I remember thinking and remembering scriptures that came to mind that remind me that God's in control. Ah, Lord God, thou has made the mountains and the earth by thy great power. Looking up and, and remembering from the Psalms, I lift my eyes up unto the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. It's a reminder when we lift our heads that our identity isn't in the problems that we face. It's a reminder that our identities are found and that we are God's kids, that we're his children, that hard things are gonna happen, that sorrowful situations will come, that life is gonna be messy and hard, but our identity isn't found in the things that happen to us, but in the one who makes us. I remember walking out and seeing the vast Alberta skies and being reminded that that Jesus was with me. I held hands with my little daughter and I looked down and saw her red pigtails and her blue eyes. And she called me daddy. I called Ron on the phone and I tried to complain and she stopped me. And I was reminded that I'm a husband. Friends, life's hard, I get it. And there's broken, hard moments that are are still to come in our lives. But friends, Jesus isn't done with our story. He said to us, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He said to us today, despite the muck and the mire of life, that he will lift us out of the miry clay. And he will put our feet on solid rock from Psalm chapter 40. He said we're victorious. He said we're his kids. He's our father. He's our daddy. He said we're not sinners, but we're sinners saved by grace. And so is life hard? A hundred percent it's hard. But we were never meant to just cope and find our way through. We're never meant to just figure it out. Because the work has already been done. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is holding us tight. He he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's filling us with hope. And when we turn, when we dwell, when we gather, when we serve, and when we change the measurement we're going to find that the moments in life that are hard and difficult become just seasons. They don't become us. They just become seasons that we can start to feel and experience the work of Jesus in. Jesus is on the throne. And there is a better life and a, and a better perspective that comes. And it's powerfully shaped by the way that we live today. Jesus is bigger than our hardship, friends. And when we journey with him, He will bless us. So place the tools in your belt. Use them daily. And as you do, you will find that you will experience the hope of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus.